That's Mel. That's Britt. And this is That Fitness Thing Podcast. Where we talk about all of your burning fitness questions and probably a few other nuggets of wisdom as well. Boom. At least you remembered it this time. I know. I really like you can't see me, but I have like my hand on my forehead and my eyes closed. There was like a lot of focus going into that one. I was going to say it right. I'm feeling very focused tonight. <laughs> I like it. And we need to be focused. It's been like two weeks since we recorded last. It has been rough. I feel like that was like maybe our initiation into this. Maybe the universe saying this is not going to always be easy. And now I think we got all the like bad luck out of the way. We should be good now. Yeah. I mean, it definitely is a fact that we have also lives. (laughs) Yeah. Life does happen. And part of those lives are kids, which are really not predictable all the time. No, they're not, especially under the age of five. They just kind of think they can do what they want. Yeah. I mean, all kids do, but still. (laughs) Yeah. And there's a lot of it they can, like, can't force them to fall asleep. (laughs) No. As much as I wish sometimes. Um, But then I miss them as soon as they are asleep. So it's kind of a (laughs) double-edged sword. I'm like, go to sleep, go to sleep. Okay, I miss you. Please come back. Wake up. Yeah, I mean... You may change your mind after number two. (laughs) You're like, thank God. (laughs) Okay, I'm so glad. No, but now she's just so cute. I just want her to be awake and love me all the time, except when I'm trying to put her to sleep. Then I'm like, okay, I'm done with you. It's like they know. They can feel all the emotions about you wanting them to sleep. You're like, nah, dog, you need me. Okay, they're really like kind of psychics sometimes though. Like one of the things I had told myself is I really need to get a better morning routine. I'm going to start getting up earlier in the morning again. I swear to you every day that I tell myself that I'm going to get up at an earlier time and set an alarm, she wakes up 10 to 15 minutes before that alarm every single time, no matter what time it is. She just knows. She just knows how to mess it up. <laughs> She's like, mom, it's me time. You got 10 <laughs> minutes for me now. <laughs> exactly. That's what it is. That's it's what it all is. for it. Well, all right. Let, yeah. Let's do we this. We have some fun things to talk about this week. Um, talking about low carb and low fat diets. Yes. And this all, this, this is like a really common question of what type of diet is better. And recently I saw a post from Lane Norton. He's a, got a PhD in nutrition, does a lot of studies for it. And he's just a really good source of knowledge. And I love his clapbacks because you always got a clapback about something when it comes and it's because it's always science related and his clapbacks have evidence you know so it's not just oh I've got a PhD and I'm super smart he's like well here's the research and I'm like yeah (laughs) I want to know more about this and he you know is one of the proponents of that dieting is about a caloric deficit but there's a lot of different ways to diet. And I am always the person that says the best diet is the one that you can stick to. So we're going to discuss, you know, low fat versus low carb. And I think 
both of these are really great subjects to tackle and information just because there's a lot of like crazy information out there like keto, you know, which is very, very, very high fat, absolutely no carb diet. And then you have on the other side of the spectrum, which is going to be really high carb and really low fat because people just think that for some reason using these energy sources in a particular manner is going to somehow be more effective than the other one. So we're going to dive deep into these both of these type of diets. Now, I personally am going to kind of go a little bit into the history of low fat diets. Why are they a thing, right? Right. Um, So first of all, uh, low calorie and low fat diets have pretty much like four strands in the late 20th century. Low fat diets have been more popular in the late 20th century, like 1990s forward than any other time. However, it has been around for actually quite a long time, probably since around the 1920s. But the four strands is pretty much the American tradition for weight reduction, diet heart hypothesis post-World War II, mm-hmm. politics of food and low fat, and then the promotion of low fat by popular media. Now, in the late 19th century, it started to become like culturally, socially, politically, and economically to diet, you know, and like and that also included body hair grooming. So by like the early 20th century, middle and upper class white women were really affected by the diet culture. The fashion was changing and they wanted to kind of like stay within that fashion realm, which required them to be a certain size and right. it started to show more skin. So low cow and low fat was not always like medically necessary, but it definitely was an aesthetic reasoning behind it, which I think a lot of people can relate to today, right? To modern times. Yeah, but huge reason. That's, I mean, medical reasons are definitely there as well. But I would say that the top reason that I have people come to me outside of like for sports and like fitness goals for competing is for aesthetics. I want to look better. Exactly. So, you know, around the 1920s is when revealing clothing, you know, the flapper dresses and all that stuff. A lot of people were showing a lot of skin in the 1920s. So that's kind of like when women's magazines started featuring diet columns as well, because people wanted to be out in that type of environment that required certain type of clothes and people wanted to look a certain way because of it. So back then, counting calories was actually the preferred method. Um, They equated, you know, that since fat was nine calories a gram, that it was not the preferred thing to be eating. So they were easy. It was easier to cut out fat in their diet than anything else, right? Because the lesser calories of protein and carbohydrates seemed to be more manageable for them. So backtrack a little bit about why people were able to kind of assess how they're going to be dieting and stuff was that Public and penny scales became available in like the late 1890s. And then private bathroom scales became a thing in 1913. Then insurance companies, this is what kind of blew my mind. So the insurance companies began to participate in weight data gathering and provided a chart in 1942 Mm -hmm. of what our height weight should be. And then it was like reworked in 1959 to be lower weights for your height. So this is actually eventually replaced in the 1990s by the 
uh, body mass index. So the notion that someone's weight at the age of 18 or 25 should be the lifelong weight, kind of like threw away the idea that it should change as you age. So it's kind of like that has been what the fountain of youth is about, right? The fountain of youth is the weight that you were at 18 or 25. And that's the weight that's supposed to be forever cemented, which is just it's not possible for no. most people, right? You, your weight changes as you age just for different, a variety of reasons, you know, pregnancy, disease, injuries. And then just because as you age, especially an elderly immune system gets, starts to become compromised and your metabolic uh, production it becomes to decrease. And so we just like weight gain is pretty natural, especially in the more ed- elderly generations. So yeah, weight stability has been contested actually most recently by the CDC for elderly people. But this like diet culture has been around, you know, at this point for over a century uh, with all of these changes. And it's just kind of part of American identity at this point. But that's not like that's just like the very brief history of kind of how the low fat diet started and how it became a tradition ideology that pretty much conquered America. Um, But really the low fat approach didn't rise to the level of what it is now to like the 1980s. And it's kind of always been this accepted notion for most Americans that they need to be low fat. And then, of course, you have companies come out with low fat products. Now, low fat products are considered pretty much anything that a a general rule is that it provides 100 calories and has three grams or less of fat that is considered a low fat food. Okay. Common examples, obviously, vegetables, fruits, whole grain cereals, egg whites, chicken, turkey breast without skin, beans, lentils, peas, seafood, and then, of course, a low fat diary that diary, dairy, dairy, among other things. There's a lot of low fat options. I know when I was first competing in bodybuilding, that was a lot of things that I looked in because my fats were low, low ish, right? And so to have a diet that was still good, like tasty, I would start picking low fat things. So I wasn't burning through all my fat grams for the day. So there's ways around it. But inadvertently, I was doing a low fat diet. (laughs) Now that I think about it with how much calories is eating. But anyway, so fats, fats are essential to us. Like we need to consume them, obviously, in a limited amount because they are high in calories per gram. So they do add up very quickly. We cook with fats, uh, you know, oils and butter and even the sprays are, you know, spray oils and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. So there, and then obviously fat is like put into baked goods and a lot of things that you get off the shelf and everything like that. So it can be, it can add up really quickly if you're not monitoring it. Um, The reason why that it's really important to be aware of your dietary fats because there are, you know, four varieties of fats differ, you know, they they differ in their physical and chemical structures and they're like saturated and trans fats are considered solid at room temperature and mono and polysaturated fats are liquid at room temperature. So like oils and stuff that you can get in a bottle that are liquid are mono or polysaturated and then things that you can, you know visibly see the fat and it's hard, (laughs) that's considered, you know, saturated or trans fat. So the reason why that some people will say that it's important to be aware of the fats that you're eating is for people that are genetically 
have or hereditary genetically to have higher LDL cholesterol, basically lipoproteins, um, low density lipoproteins. And then people also who have like PCOS um, Uh will develop high cholesterol levels, uh, serum cholesterol levels in their blood and stuff, which will can cause heart disease. So you know, there are things in abundant literature, honestly, like over the last 30 years, they have studied this multiple times, specifically about whether or not you should eat whole eggs because whole eggs have high cholesterol. (laughs) But it has come to the fact that you don't really need to be tracking your cholesterol intake if you don't have heart like heart disease or is not gen- like hereditary in your family so if right, you if don't like high have, risk for that yeah if you're not high risk if you don't already have like if you're not taking medication for for having high ldl levels because you don't have a risk for it it's not something you actually need to track it's pretty much what has finally come to a conclusion in the last 10 years when it comes to cholesterol levels. Interesting. But that was one of the reasons why that low-fat diets have been such a thing is because people are so scared of heart health and like the morbidity related to, you know, your cardiovascular system that they really felt that they had to have a low-fat diet to protect their heart. You know, you think you see all those heart healthy cereals like Cheerios is one specific thing that I always remember growing up. Like, eat Cheerios, it's great for your heart. You know, really just really has no fat in it. It's just like flour. (laughs) It's hardened flour into circles. Well, and I never sat and thought about it as like a low fat diet. But even when I think back to growing up and just like those things that you hear from your parents and the food that you see on your plate, I remember my mom telling me specifically that, and this is going to sound so silly now. But cholesterol was definitely like a big thing people were worried about. I was always told not to eat so much of the red meats, not really so much of like the butter, anything that was like high in fat. And I remember specifically her telling me, (laughs) mom, don't hate me for this, but anything that was difficult to wash off a plate or silverware, anything that stuck because it was oily and fatty, she said, yeah, that that can't be good for your heart. You don't want to have too much of that. Can you imagine how that builds up and how hard of a time your body must have processing that? And I was always kind of like scared of fats. Like I really wasn't supposed to have a lot of butter, anything that was going to stick to a knife when I was done with it. I was really cautious of, and it's so silly now, but it's funny to listen to what you're saying and think like that really is a lot of what they were being told is that those are like big, scary things. Stay away from it. Exactly. And that really has to do with the post-World War II era when it came to cardiovascular health, because like in the 1950s, they didn't follow a low fat diet. They, you know, Americans were consuming very high fat all American foods, you know, stews, meatloaf, corned beef, mashed potatoes with butter, you know, breaded and fried veal, deep fried vegetables, French fries, all that. And I think that as science progressed, and I shouldn't say I think that I know that, but as science progressed, people's viewpoint changed on that, especially in the medical community, because, you know, coronary heart disease has been like the leading cause of death in the United States forever. So, you know, they're trying to do preventive measures and it's just easier to blast that information to the entire population and having them trying to change that. But even think of it like Paula. Paula Dean, right? You know, everyone knew her recipes and she used to be heavier and all that stuff. And it came to the fact that she was having heart disease and she had to change her diet and then her recipes changed and everybody was like clutching their pearls over it. But, you know, and that was only in the last like 10 years. But the thing is, is this has been low fat diets have been pretty much promoted since 
the 1950s because of, you know, the 1940s post-World War II coronary heart disease scare and, and realizing that a lot of Americans were mm-hmm. dying because of it. So, you know, that's kind of how the American Heart Association became evolved and proposed that like, the modification of dietary fat intake would reduce the incidence of coronary heart disease. And so, you know, that's kind of like how that began. But it's really, it's just crazy to me. This has been going on for like 60, 70 years at this point. And it's still pretty ingrained into our society that low fat is, low fat diet is king, which is just another way to diet, honestly. There is, you know, pretty much from like, 1984 through like the 1990s, dietary fat was increasingly blamed, not for only coronary heart disease, but also for obesity. We also know now in 2021 that obesity is considered a like, I think it's officially, hold on, I don't want to be talking out my ass. I think obesity (laughs) has been declared an actual like disease, like medical disease, right? Because people who typically are chronically overweight or chronically obese and have been, you know, like have that abnormal or excessive fat accumulation for a long time and they start yo-yo dieting, they'll like lose a bunch of weight and get back with it is because they have a problem with their satiation hormone. So they're always constantly hungry is what they have been able to find out. And so- They've actually recently have developed a drug. I can't remember the name of it right now that actually turns that hormone off. So like you feel less hungry most of the time. So you're less Mm -hmm. likely to overeat. But anyways, that's getting off track. But yeah, you know, this is, (laughs) yeah, it's just, it's been going on for, for a really long time, but there are a lot of concerns with fat and like low fat diets are still recommended to certain groups of people, you know, the association with cardiovascular disease, association with cancer, like the association between dietary fat and the risk of cancer development is consistent. You know, it's been supported through multiple studies and there's like an epidemiologic evidence demonstrating the associations between like fat intake and breast, prostate, colon, and even lung cancers in humans. So, you know, for of those cancers, the intake is most extensively linked with breast cancer of all of them. So I don't know if it has to do with like DNA changes or anything like that. It's completely out of my lane, but it is something that is of a concern and they have done studies for to see that, you know, potential relationship between fat intake and prostate cancer or breast cancer and other cancers. And of course, the association with obesity, you know, obesity is a chronic disease. It's got a plethora of comorbidities, um, you know, diabetes, hypertension, fatty liver, sleep apnea, like just to name a couple of them. And they just feel that the energy imbalance is a result from, ex, you know, excessive nutritional intake. And there is maybe a potential you know, dietary fat intake is more than anything else. Like of all the foods that are available to us in our diet realm, you go to the store and stuff like a lot of that stuff that tastes good, that's accessible and easy, has higher fat content in it. And so they think that maybe that is the reason for it, right? These are obviously just correlations 
Um, there still needs to be more studies, but it's kind of hard to study people's behaviors out in the world. You know, a lot right. of this stuff is, has to be just like surveys on how do people actually eat. So, um, but, you know, they feel like there is some data that suggests just like reduction in you know, the amounts of fat consumed, there will be like just in the decline of the total dietary intake will obviously decrease body weight. But that also has to do with caloric deficit. So <laughs> like because if you, that's going to be a side effect of <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's, it's a side effect of, the, of a caloric deficit, whether it's from low carbs, low fats, just low calories overall. Um, as long as you're in that caloric deficit, that just kind of equals weight loss as a general rule. Right. And there's a, there's just so many great studies out there. I try to look at the ones that were all pretty much in like the last five years. There yeah. was even this one that was like very low fat diets might actually be associated with the increased risk of metabolic syndrome in the adult population. Hmm. Right. So basically like the fat intake has been targeted to decrease the prevalence of metabolic syndrome, but decreasing dietary fat intake has not had that result. So they did a study. It was like 34,000 Korean adults of wow. 19 years or older or, or, older, or <laughs> older. <laughs> and uh, they just kind of looked at, you know, the components of metabolic syndrome were measured according to fat intake while also mm -hmm. controlling the covariates that affect metabolic syndrome using linear logistic regression analysis. Anyways, they're basically saying that the prevalence of metabolic syndrome was significantly higher with people who had less than 15% fat intake in their diet. Um, so their overall diet was less than 15% of it was fat. And they were saying right. it was way, way higher than any other you know, ones uh, of the ratio that they're looking at. So it's a really, really big pool of people to take from to it get is. that information. So I found that really interesting. So there can be pros and cons to pretty much either side of it. But as you and I both know that if someone, let's just throw out all the psychological part of it, of dieting and why people fail okay. at diets. We just take that completely out. If you take one person or even 100 people and put them in a caloric deficit and assume that they're going to stay in that caloric deficit when, with their intake and their outtake, they're going to lose weight. Yeah. Like... That's, I mean, and people, some people really hate the calories in, calories out group. You know, there's mantras, there's people out there that's all they <laughs> preach and stuff because yeah. there's obviously so many other factors that will affect someone dieting. But if you were literally just to take the numbers and say, we're putting this group of people, they're going to lose weight. You know, it doesn't, it literally does not matter the ratio of their macronutrients, like it does not matter whatsoever what it is, they're still going to lose weight. <laughs> like right. you can give someone carbs only, they're still going to lose weight. They might have some other issues like significant muscle loss and all that stuff, but yeah, yeah that doesn't matter. We're just putting out the actual numbers <laughs> itself will show that they will lose weight because they're in a caloric deficit. Yes. Like, 
it's and it's I want to say it's really that simple. It's not, but it is at the same time. Just looking yeah. at the numbers, it is, and, and it's not. If you put it down at its simplest, simplest form, there's that. But then there's of course so many other things to look at too, and choosing what kind of a caloric deficit you need to be in, right? What macronutrients, what micronutrients are important to be set up a certain way for you based on so many other factors, physical and psychological. Right. And I mean, I could just jump on all the other these other studies, but I'm not going to at this time. Um, Just do a little bit of research. If you guys want to know more about low fat diets, it's been researched into the ground. So you can pretty much find anything, especially within the last five years is kind of where I would look at a lot of this stuff because there's going to be a lot of great meta analysis out there that are going to combine a lot of pretty much the history of all of the data that's out there and kind of put it into one nice article that kind of breaks it down. You can find a lot of those on NCBI is a big one. And, you know, really just kind of like low fat really is just really good for health, for people who have health issues. Um, But sometimes it's more of a preference than anything. It's not going to be better than a low carb diet or any other diet that you choose to do that's in a caloric deficit if your main purpose of choosing this diet is for weight loss. Now, even for just, there's no, how do I say this? There's nothing wrong with tracking your fats, right? As long as you know your goals, there's nothing wrong with tracking your fats and finding out how much you're eating. I'm, if I were to like, I'm not dieting right now, but if I were to track all of my food, my fats would probably be a little bit higher than if I were dieting. It would probably be around 70, 80 grams a day and my carbs would probably be a little bit lower. And that's just how I like to eat. So it really just depends person to person. Now, if I went to the doctor and they told me I had PCOS or that my serum uh, low density lipoproteins uh, were really high, I'd probably start looking at my diet at that point. I'd be like, all right, might need a might need to start tracking this because that would deal with heart health at that point. But, you know, there's nothing wrong with having a low fat diet or even a medium or however you want to do your macronutrients. So Mel, what did you find out about low carb diets? I mean, I expected, I did not expect to find things as far back as I did for low carb diets either. I didn't realize really how long that had been around either. So they have, I had never even heard of this guy, but they have way back from like the 1860s, this Banting Harvey plan that had come out and William Banting, he was like known as the father of the low carb diet. And it was the first time where the low carb, um, thing really boomed. He did a study, released a letter um, to the public on all the metabolic effects of the low-carb diet and how you lose weight with it. He talked a lot about the biochemistry of it, and it was like this big thing throughout the 1860s. And then it kind of went from there, and it was worldwide. I found things on booms for the low carb, high fat diets in Germany, um, over in Iceland and Canada. So everywhere just throughout that whole next century. Um, 
it kind of seemed to take a turn back in like the 1920s when it started being used as a treatment for epilepsy in children. So the low carb, adequate protein, high fat diet, um, is still is still something they use today, but kind of started back there in 1920 to help with children who don't respond to epilepsy medication. So that's when I really saw things start to be more medical as well. And so that was really interesting to me. That was something I had no idea about um, and that that was even a thing. And then, of course, as things progress, I feel like a lot of the really popular diets that I grew up with too, like the Atkins diet, the South Beach diet, paleo diet, keto now is a thing, all those things. Um, something about the low carb diet is really like easy to preach to the public and very like, I don't know, well accepted by the general public, if that makes sense. Like I feel like a lot of the low carb ones are the ones that I've seen just everybody jump on board with. And I'm not 100% sure why that is. I can't even remember specific low fat diets growing up, but low carb ones were kind of everywhere, you know? I think that has a lot to do with the fact that carbohydrates are really easily identified. You know, bread, potatoes, rice, and big one is bread. For the longest yeah. time, people thought bread makes you fat. But I think it's just really <laughs> easy to take it out of your diet because it's even like think about all the times that you make meals. You honestly make carbs separate a lot of the time That's and true. then you'll mix it in. So a lot of people, I think, just adopted that just because it's so easily to, un- you know, to track that well versus well, fat. It's like you really have to look at nutrition labels and then you're like realizing that you have to cut out your cooking oils and your butter that makes everything taste good. So people are less likely, right? Yes, yes. And I think it's also really easy to kind of villainize certain foods and and sugar being one of those things that's really easy to villainize. So I could see that as well because we're saying, you know, here's your – I quit sugar, I quit carbs kind of diet. And that sounds like I took out the bad things, right? The quote unquote bad things. It's just so easy to villainize the carbs. And I think that's something that happens so much. The big kind of time frame when all those diets started coming out, the zone diet, Atkins diet, Stone Age diet, all of those was kind of the 90s and the 2000s again up until now I hear things about those diets all the time, specifically keto and paleo diets. Um, so I think those are all like big ones to talk about. Um, what you said is true though. I mean, period point blank at its simplest. If you are in a caloric deficit, you will lose weight. However, um, low carb diets, and and I like to kind of preface it with what is a low carb diet. So a lot of the studies that I looked at had very, um, what's the word specific definitions for what that meant. So a low carb diet being, um, less than 25% of your food coming from carbs and a very low carb diet being less than 10% coming from carbs. So super, super low. Um, But the whole idea being that when you do low carb, very low carb, you're going to lower your insulin, which is going to improve your cardiometabolic function and induce weight loss. That's what makes low carb diet so appealing. Um, And then talking about 
ketogenic diet too, a very low carb one. Um, talking about, of course, putting you into ketosis, right? Nutritional ketosis. And that's a really big one. Um, but studies just time and time again have kind of found that long term that ketosis is not um, great for your health, right? It does not help with your mortality. It's, it's seen negative results as far as mortality, cardiovascular safety, lipid response, renal function. So it's not a great long term diet for very low carbs, right? Um, mm-hmm. Low carb, like moderately low carb, definitely has better results that have come from it as far as most of the studies I've seen. Um, Weight loss, of course, as we're talking again, just a caloric deficit, but weight loss for low carb. Um, Working with type 2 diabetes, so carb control really helping with glycemic control and your release of insulin to help control type 2 diabetes, that can be really helpful. And then the cardiovascular risk factors, I found, Brittany, studies that said yes, studies that said no, studies that said it's good for your heart health, studies that said it's bad. It's really controversial. So I don't know what you found, but I really couldn't get like a good grasp on what truly the results of a low-carb diet are on your heart. It's probably going to be correlated to the fact that when people are eating low carb, they're replacing that energy type of food with fats. And so when you have high fat diets, that's when it becomes more concerned with the cardiovascular system and high cholesterol serum levels. And people are going to be really looking like deeply into that. However, if someone is, I've known people who are like hardcore keto dieters. Like I know this one bodybuilder in Washington state who's been doing it for like 30 years and he preaches it and that's all he eats. However, he's, you know, he gets his blood taken and he's older. He's like in his 50s at this point. And so he's, you know, does his annual exam and he has great levels. It doesn't affect him like it would maybe somebody who has, you know, a genetic predisposition to high high cholesterol and heart disease in their genetic line. So it's really kind of like when you're making these decisions when it comes to diet and they're seeing these studies for it, it's probably studying people who have that predisposition and that's why they're like, oh, it's not healthy. Well, no, it's not fucking healthy for people who have heart disease. (laughs) Like it causes plaque in their arteries, which can cause heart attacks. So, you know, that's kind of like something that, you know, if you have, even if you don't currently have issues as you age, right? That's when health issues start to crop up and that's when your blood levels will start changing and stuff. And that's why it's important to go to the doctor and get a checkup every once in a while. So that way you can just kind of like track what's going on with your body. And if you have heart disease in your family, high blood pressure in your family, high cholesterol in your family, you might be getting it. So, you know, there's pretty like good plan to basically say, hey, I probably shouldn't have this type of diet, even though I'm okay now. I, You know, there's a lot of people who don't go to the doctor very often. So if you only go to the doctor once every five years, but over that five years, you start having high cholesterol levels in your blood and that's going to cause your, you know, the plaque and the hardening and all the stuff, the arteries, and you wouldn't have known. Right. But you knew that your dad had it. <laughs> like, 
let's 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 use your brains a little I bit on that one. Right. <laughs> yeah. And I think that I mean, a big thing too that I saw with the low carb diets is and again I had really conflicting things that I saw on how it works with heart disease, right? But I think what you're saying is really accurate. If you're having a low carb diet, but then you also have a healthy amount of proteins and fats in your diet, then it can definitely be like an okay thing for you. I think another important kind of piece of a low carb diet is making sure that you're getting like your essential vitamins, minerals, phytonutrients, uh, all those micronutrients that you need. A lot of those come from your fruits and your veggies. And so when you're doing low carb, it's really easy to cut out those foods, especially with something like keto. And it really is important to make sure that you're getting those either from your fruits, veggies, whole grains still, even if those are minimized or taking some kind of supplementation to help with that. Because that's one big thing that I saw is people um, having issues down the road with their bodies because they didn't fulfill any of those essential nutrients your body still needs, right? If I cut out all my fruits and vegetables because I'm having essentially no carbs, then I'm really missing out on some things that are going to make me feel better, going to help my immune system, that are going to help my body function the way it's supposed to function. So that's something that's important to really track when you're doing a very low carb diet and kind of hold yourself accountable for is making sure you're getting those too. It's not all about the macros. Um, And then another thing too, I actually found this study and this is kind of for both, but there was a study that um, was called, what did they call it? I have it on here somewhere. They called it preventing overweight using novel dietary strategies. It was a two-year trial that compared different weight loss strategies and Mm -hmm. they did all different types of like a bunch of different proportions of macronutrients, so carbs, protein, fats. And it said that the results of this study were that it worked equally well in the long run for all the different proportions as far as weight loss goes and that there was no speed advantage for one diet over another. And I found that really interesting too. And I kind of wanted to get your take on that because I wanted to see why would that be that there would be so many uh, different proportions but still have such a similar result. (laughs) <laughs> caloric deficit <laughs> back to that <laughs> right so you know that is basically saying that it doesn't matter how you set up your diet if the purpose is for weight loss in your caloric deficit you're still going to lose weight if that's the goal right so like hey i've got a bunch of obese participants and we're all going to put them on a diet of different macronutrient ratios low fat you know low carb you know, strict keto, paleo, whole 30 or whatever crap they want to do. And they're tracking it, but they're in a caloric deficit of like 200, 300 calories a day. They're all going to lose weight. (laughs) They might not all lose the same rate of weight. Like they might not all be like lose exactly 10 pounds equally and stuff because body compositions are going to be different person to person, even if they're all identified as obese the fact is they're in a caloric deficit and they're still going to lose a pound is a pound you know so uh that just goes again with the caloric intake and it it's funny 
that we're having this discussion because one of my soldiers is stressing out because they're going to a leadership school soon and he wanted to be prepared and he, mm. can, you know, recruiting is stressful. So a lot of recruiters will pack on like five, 10 pounds they didn't have before recruiting. And he called me today and he's just like super stressed out. And I'm like, calories, man, you just, I can't tell you exactly because I don't know what you're eating. I don't know how many calories you're eating. But the fact is, is that if what you're doing now isn't working and you haven't seen any weight loss in the last two weeks, but you're doing all of this extra working out, you're not in a caloric deficit. <laughs> like, yeah. I'm sorry, man. Like, I don't care how stressed you are at work or how poor your sleep is. If you were in a caloric deficit, you would still be losing something. Despite the those fact, things. You know, despite those things. What's and funny so, is I asked you that question about your take on it. And then I, I went back down. I was looking at the study on NCBI um, is where I found this one as well. And I was just scrolling down it because I was like, I wonder if I like missed something on how they answered that. Ready for the conclusion? <laughs> This is word for word uh, from the Massachusetts Medical Society. Ready? Reduced calorie diets result in clinically meaningful weight loss, regardless of which macronutrients they emphasize. Period. Boom. Period. There it is. So, I mean, really, just kind of from everything that I've looked at, and I've always been a big proponent of, and I think I've, I've gotten it from a lot of places like I said, growing up and then from working with you as well, I'm sure is partly where it came from, but low fat's easier for me. It feels better for me. I enjoy my carbs. Even when I'm in a caloric deficit, I'd like to have like more moderately high carbs for me, but it really kind of comes down to those extra things, of course, like, um, disease, making sure that this like medically works for you, but really it's kind of choosing the best method to fit your lifestyle, how it makes you feel, whether or not you're able to sustain it. And there's not going to be a big difference weight loss wise in any of these like crazy disproportionate <laughs> or just reproportioned diets. Yes. And we also need to remember that when we're thinking about diets and people start restricting certain food groups and stuff and going back to the vitamins and minerals, there is an essential amount that we have to have through our diet to meet the needs of our body. And that includes fat. We, we have essential fatty acids that we get from our diet that the body cannot make itself, right? Fats help absorb vitamin A, vitamin D, vitamin E. Those are fat-soluble vitamins, and you have to be eating dietary fat to be able to you know absorb those important vitamins in your system, or you're going to have other type of symptoms. And a lot of people will be like, ah, balgardash, like this is crap, you know, <laughs> this isn't a thing. But like you got to think like 18th century sailors all had scurvy because they were sailing for weeks and weeks and weeks and then their fruit would, you know, their food sources would start to, you know, go bad and everything. Like all of their fruit that had vitamin C in it, like potatoes and all that stuff. After a while, you can't eat that shit because it's rotten. Right. And so they would start developing, you know, bleeding gums and then the wounds just wouldn't heal they called it scurvy, you know? And so the, it's a real thing that if you don't get certain vitamins that are essential through your diet because your body can't produce it on its own, you're going to have other conditions that are preventable. Correct. So we can, I had, can't emphasize enough that 
you can diet. You can eat what you want while you diet if you're in a caloric deficit, if you're eating a variety of foods. And if you're sitting here restricting whole damn food groups because so-and-so said it was the best diet ever and you're not doing any mitigating actions to make sure that you're getting your vitamins and your essential fatty acids and the minerals that you need from your food, you're going to have problems. Like you're going to have hormonal changes. You're going to have mood swings, like all these other things. So no matter what you choose for yourself, it has to be sustainable long-term, right? It's something that you can stick to because the best diet that you can do is the one you stick to. And when I say diet, and I think this is a the negative connotation to diet. Everyone yeah. assumes when I say, hey, I'm on a diet, they're like, oh, so you're trying to lose weight. No, yeah, not <laughs> that's not what diet means. Diet mm-hmm. just means your food intake, what you choose to eat on a daily basis. Yep. So if I went out there and I ate fucking McDonald's every day, sure, it would taste good, but I'm not getting all of the essential vitamins and minerals I need from having a variety of my diet. And that's what I'm talking about. So I think when we look at these low fat choices or low carb choices and paleo and keto and whole 30 and stuff that restrict whole food groups because of some ideal they think that our body actually wants, you could potentially be causing more harm than good. So it's important, one, to do your research and two, do something that is sustainable. Like if it's something you actually enjoy doing, it's probably something you'll be able to stick to long term. That's good for your health. Yeah. And I like what you said, because it's true. Anything that anything that has know of something, something that's completely cut out, not low, but know of anything is just never going to be a good idea. Exactly. Big red X right there. If you're saying there's no carbs, no fat, no this, no that, that's never a good sign. (laughs) Right. It's going to be healthy for you overall. I think people are just so used to availability of food because you got to think even in the 1940s and 1950s we were definitely progressive in the aspect of what was available to Americans and grocery stores and all that but a lot of stuff couldn't be transported long distance because we didn't have the technology at the time to be able to ensure that our foods would last through transport and now we have that opportunity so we have all the foods available to us but back then you know, everything was in season. So you constantly had a change in your diet like every six months because the seasons changed and you can only grow certain types of food during certain times of the year. And so uh, we forget that's how we used to eat. And maybe that's why Americans were healthier, you know, with their food choices back then than we are now, just because we have so much more availability to choose. We end up just picking the one thing that we like and eating that all the time. So like right now, Izzy's favorite thing is fucking Cheetos and I'm over it. So <laughs> where she's always trying to take all the Cheetos. Like everywhere she goes, I'm like, girl, you cannot eat Cheetos all the time. You're making me look like a horrible mom. I get it. They're tasty. <laughs> Please so eat this funny. apple. <laughs> Breakfast, lunch, and dinner. She now, would. It's 
It's true. And when you're a kid, that's way more like exciting as an adult. I'm like, okay, I don't want the same thing over and over, but still it's, it's easy to get sucked into a lot of these restrictive and just fad diets that happen because you do see success with them. And I think that's the hard part for people is, you know, when you're looking around for what am I going to do? I have limited knowledge on all this, but I know I want to lose weight or I know I want to feel better. I know I want to look different. You go and you see what has worked for people and you can get really easily sucked into some big ones like keto, like, like you said, whole 30. I've done whole 30 cause I love, I don't know for me, that one just feels good. But, <laughs> um, a lot of those diets, the super low carb, super low fat diets, you see that people have results and you want that. You say, you know, it worked for them. So of course it has to work for me, but it's so important to remember that that literally comes from the caloric deficit, not from restricting yourself, making yourself miserable, cutting out entire food groups. That's just exactly. if you take away anything from this. I feel like that's kind of what it all boils down to. Exactly. Well done. I think that we have nailed the subject. I'm always, anybody that listens, if they have any follow-on questions, I am more than happy to do the research. I just need you to ask the damn question so I can actually know (laughs) what you need to know. So this was a really great one to dive deep into because there's just a really long history of diet culture, especially in the United States that I was not aware of like I've known about nutrition I feel like forever and just kind of like what works and why it works but I never knew that it like the history of it so this was actually cool to do a deep dive into no it was this was one of my favorite subjects that we've gotten to go and research just because there is some really interesting studies and it's really interesting to see kind of how it's changed over time too just like you said, the diet culture, but I've really enjoyed making this one. And I feel like after two weeks of having this game plan and not having recorded, I feel like we definitely had time to get all our research done and (laughs) get a grasp on what we were going to talk about. So go us. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, it was unintentional, but yeah. whoops-a-daisy. Um, so just some housekeeping to our followers. We're probably going to go ahead and deactivate our Patreon for now. Mel and I just, we're busy. We're both in school. We're both so parents. We both work. It's just sometimes, you know, we I got to admit, I put too much on my plate and I just don't have time to manage an extra site. So I'd rather just edit and get this information out to you and just do it because it's fun and not because I'm trying to make a buck. So (laughs) here we are. (laughs) Maybe one day we'll have something like that up and running, but now is not the time. Right now is the time to just enjoy this because that's why we started doing this in the first plate is because place, place, not plate, is because it's fun for us. But yeah, that's kind of what we want to stick to for now. And so we really appreciate everybody that is tuning in, is downloading, listening, leaving reviews. Like we love you guys so much. Thank you for making this so fun to do. Facts on facts. Well, that's Mel. That's Brett. And this is That Fitness Thing Podcast. Hell yeah, it is. <laughs> <laughs>